are Locked On Sun Devils, your daily podcast on the Arizona State Sun Devils. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Sun Devil fans, we are halfway to uh, Saturday's game against Colorado back here at their home turf in Tempe. In this Wednesday edition of the podcast, we're going to be talking about a potential running back by committee, if it already wasn't for the ASU team, and getting Daniel Nagata some more touches. Then we're going to be looking at the narrative of ASU being a second half team. Is that really true? We're going to take a deeper dive into those numbers. And lastly, we're going to give our first preview of ASU's matchup coming up against Colorado, the games they've played this year, and how we think they're going to fare against the Colorado Buffaloes this weekend. There's no better place to get all your Pac-12 conference news than the Locked On Pac-12 podcast hosted by Cindy Robinson. Follow the Locked On Pac-12 podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Locked On Sun Devils podcast. We have a very exciting Wednesday edition for you with all your Sun Devils football news. Richie, I'm going to kick it off with you. How you doing, man? I'm good. I am tired, but good, and I'm ready to talk about the Sun Devils. Tired, but excited. We always are ready to talk about football. Such uh, is life as a college student, but I'm not a college student. That is true. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. You can find me at Cedrios. You can find Richie at Richie Brads with the Z 36. And make sure to follow our Twitter page at LO underscore Sun Devils. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast at either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or the Odyssey app, or just generally wherever you get your podcasts. That way you don't miss any of our episodes and any upcoming Sun Devil content. With that, Richie, let's get into it. Daniel Nagata had a great weekend. Going into this game against BYU, maybe not necessarily the potential star of the game, but as far as the offense goes, he had a pretty good showing. He had 8 for 82 and a touchdown and provided quite a big spark in the second half of the game. And it kind of made you think, why would they go away from that? Nagata is definitely like a little, uh, like for lack of a better term, I know you just brought it up, like a little bit of a spark plug for this offense. They plug him in and he's just that fresh pair of legs that really gets this offense going. I don't know what it is about him, but he he feels so much different compared to a Rashad White or a Chip Trianum, which is funny because those two are on completely opposite ends of this uh, of the spectrum. But Nagata just feels like he brings something a little different to what the Sun Devils were looking to bring, and I love that they're still getting him involved. Obviously, he's getting more touches because Trianum has been on the mend for the last two weeks, but nonetheless, Nagata is producing with the touches that they're providing him. On a year, he's got 183 yards on 25 touches. That's 7.3 a pop, and he's also scored three touchdowns. So Nagata is doing something with limited opportunity, and even though Trainum is hopefully going to be back sooner rather than later, this is a guy that I want to see continue to be involved in the offense. You just want to give him some credit. Like You you think of the, the top running backs, or at least running attempts in this offense, Nagata's kind of the fourth forgotten guy because between Rashad White, Chip Trainum, and Jaden Daniels' legs, you don't really hear too much from Daniel Nagata. And I, I just, he's getting the opportunity now because Chip Trainum is hurt. We did hear some good news from Herm that he does expect him to play this weekend. We've said this before, so in our Friday edition of the podcast, we're going to confirm that. But we do expect Chip Trainum to be back. But with 
with him getting this opportunity, Daniel Nagata, after he's been so successful, and if you're trying to keep Chip healthy, I'm really not sure you can just afford to, to get away from him. And, and the, the idea isn't so much that they're going to bench him. That's not what's going to happen when Chip comes back. It, it's more so that Sean Aguano, the, the running backs coach, was just quoted talking about getting a little bit more uh, carry Nagata's way when Chip comes back. So at least you can keep him a little bit more fresh and, and avoid the injury. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with continuing to divvy up carries the way that you have. So Rashad White is probably your best running back, and the good news is he's a good receiver. So you can continue to get him incorporated into the offense, both on the ground and through the air. So give him all the touches you want. With Trey Anum, he's your goal line guy. He's the break the back of the defense guy. He's going to get his touches. With Nagata, he does a little bit of everything for you. So Nagata is the one that you're going to bring later in the games or later in long sustained drives. When you have three guys like this who can all be star running backs, that's incredibly lethal. You look at some of the more successful teams that are running the football in recent years, uh, Alabama being the most stand standout one, is they, they consistently have three to four guys who can just run the football, and, and there's a reason that Alabama has been one of the best run units of my lifetime, not even just the last 10 years. I mean, you go back 20 years, and they've had guys that they just routinely use. So in the case of Arizona State, we've had that system going for a little while now. We've had guys like Cameron Marshall and Marion Grice. Eno Benjamin, DJ Foster. So it's funny you bring up Eno Benjamin, because I wanted to bring up in 2017, Eno Benjamin was our third running back sitting behind Kalen Balaj and Demario Richard. And then as soon as both of them left, Eno came in and set the single-season rushing yard record for the Sun Devils. So the reason why that's interesting to me is because it feels like Nagata's in that same situation where perhaps, based off of what we've seen, perhaps Nagata's better than the two guys ahead of him. But the two guys ahead of him, because they're veterans and they've been there, are going to get the touches that Nagata wants to have. So... To, and take that veteran thing with a grain of salt, because obviously training him is also a sophomore. That's true. I, I just, again, I, I'm hearing what Iguano is trying to say, and it's all about just giving Nagata more respect. I, I think, so it's funny that you bring up Alabama. If you, Who doesn't want that star player on their team? An example, like who doesn't want the, the Najee Harris on their team? When you can just have this bell cow back to give the ball almost 30 combined times to, and just watch him absolutely dominate. That, it's just so fun to have that guy out there. But that being said, if you can go the, the committee approach and you just have three guys that can absolutely tear you apart in different ways, right? You would hint at, at Rashad White being a little bit more of a receiver versus what either Chip Train and Morgana bring to the table. If they can at least all kind of break your back in different scenarios or at least in an extended drive, like you were saying, bringing Nagata in later like they did in the third quarter that was just a huge game changer for the Sun Devils. And if you can, I almost don't care what the name looks on the back of the jersey. If you can bring in any guy to do that, you, you owe it to yourself to at least get touches to these guys. Yeah, and funny you bring up Najee Harris because while he is that bell cow back, he really wasn't a bell cow until his final year in college. Before that, they really kept him nice and fresh the whole time. There was a point in time where they had Najee Harris, Josh Jacobs, and Damian Harris all in the same roster. And Harris, Doug, excuse me, there's two Harris's. Damian Harris was the lead guy. He wasn't even the first round pick between the other, between the three of them. 
Jacobs and Najee both went in the first round, but Harris was the guy who they trusted the most. And truth be told, personally, I think Harris is the best pure runner of the three. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, the best running back isn't always going to get the most touches. And from what we've seen, Nagata has earned the right to be in the conversation for Arizona State's lead back, especially with training them on the mend. And White's been terrific, and White's going to continue to be the lead back for the Sun Devils, as he should. But the glimpses that Nagata has shown us should get everyone incredibly excited. And because of that, we need to continue giving him the football in any and every way. Yep, that is a nightmare scenario going up against a team who's a little bit weaker against the run. Even if you can potentially stop one guy as that defense gets worn down, you have other studs plus Jaden Daniels that can just absolutely break your back with their legs. Yep, and then one more thing I want to add in real quick is, with especially with Trey Anum coming off of injury, having three guys to rotate in is going to keep everyone fresh. You don't need to worry about giving one dude 20 touches a game. You can give each of them 10 to 12. And that's the goal. You just want to keep them fresh, and, and ideally if they can all be effective. Uh, again, I don't care what their name looks like on the back of their jersey. You just want somebody to be able to run the ball effectively like they have all year. That's our thoughts just on the running back by committee approach. Stick with us for our next segment. We're going to be looking at the idea of ASU this year being a second-half team by the numbers. You're listening to the Locked On Sun Levels podcast. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back to start another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for the, all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests. BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use the promo code NFL100. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. Make sure to use the promo code Locked On. And we're back with our next segment. We're going to be talking about the narrative of ASU being a second-half team this year. With every game, it feels like they are starting off somewhat cold before they really kick it into gear and finally start playing well. In the first two weeks, they were playing teams that at least maybe might not have had as much talent as them, and it didn't affect them nearly as much. But going up against a good BYU Cougars team, it definitely showed in the box score on the field any way you watch that game. Richie, by the numbers, I'm just going to have you guess. Between the first and second half offense, which has put up more points and by how much? So essentially, what's the difference between the two? I mean, I'll definitely tell you it's 100% the second half offense. And are you talking like total points or average points? Uh, Total points. Total points. Three games. We've put up almost mid thirty. I, I would say we're just we're just short of a hundred total points. I'll say we've put up sixty-two of those points in the second half. Here's why I was surprised. I looked at the numbers. Forty-nine points in the first half, forty-six points in the second half, which isn't a big deal. It, it's a difference of three. And you don't look at that and think, well, okay, that has to get rectified. That's totally fine. What that shows is at least some consistency across the board that you're you're able to move the ball uh, and your team's not exactly getting gassed. Now here comes the defense. Between the defense uh, and first and second half points scored, which one has put up 
more points, the first half or the second half team? The first half definitely gives up the most, and the reason I know that is because week one, they pitched a shutout in the second half, or no, uh, week two, they pitched a shutout in the second half against UNLV. Week one, I think they gave up one touchdown in the second half, and then you got the box score right in front of me for the BYU game where they only gave up six points in the fourth quarter. So definitely a second-half team for the defense. First half this year. Are you ready for this number? I'm ready for this number. Of 51 points this season. The first half has given up 38 of those 51 points. The rest of it has come to the tune of 13 points in the second half. And you hear that and think that's phenomenal. ASU knows how to close down their games. But 38 points at least out of 51. It's not so much the the total number of first half points. It's just how much of their total points are coming in the first half. So with that being said, it's again, the defense overall is playing well. They're not giving up a ton of points, even though they haven't played uh, these overly serious opponents just yet. So I'm not worried about the defense per se. It just, it goes back to the lack of discipline and they're putting themselves in a hole. And if you start to do that against some of the better teams in the Pac-12, I'm just not sure how you see yourself uh, winning the Pac-12 South title. So here's where it's a good thing. The good thing is that Arizona State knows how to make adjustments. So when they go into these games and they go into halftime and they think to themselves, okay, this is where we're messing up. This is where we're coming short. Here's how we're going to fix it. A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. So they go over those things. They come out and they execute. That's the biggest thing is they come out and they execute the new game plan and dictate the rhythm of the rest of the game. They give the ball back to the offense. And the offense, as we looked at, which surprised me, is more is it, it, it maintains a consistency where they put up 49 points in the in the first half and 46 points in the second half. That's what you want out of your offense. Nice balanced attack where you're consistently putting up points. For the defense, while it does stink that you're giving up a lot of points in the first half, the fact that you're able to buckle down and shut down teams in the second half means that you're giving your offense a chance to get back into the game if you're losing, which. In the case last week against BYU, they were losing. And at one point in time, that game was 17-21. to 21. So it was a very close game before the team just pooped out in the fourth quarter and couldn't put up any points. So I, I am impressed with the way that the defense has found a way to get good resolve late in games and make it so that it never truly feels like the Sun Devils are out of it. But we also got to remember it's only a three-game sample, and the best team that they played was BYU. But, again, playing devil's advocate, BYU is now the 15th best team in college football. There's 3-0, and and you did that in their home stadium. So if you didn't believe in the defense from the first two games, you should believe in it from the third game. So, yeah, just I, 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 like, I like that kind of trend. You just wish it was... It was a full game sample instead of in second halves. 100%. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Herm and his ability to be able to make adjustments because we're seeing that trend so far this year. It's not so much that I want to be able to go into every game thinking, okay, now's the time we're going to buckle down, even though we're down two possessions. What are they not doing that in terms of like preparation? I understand that maybe when you go into a game, you have a handful of plays, maybe as the offensive coordinator, as an example, wants to roll out. And from there, depending on the situation and maybe the, uh, the game script, they start to alter that plan a little bit. Whatever they're doing as far as preparation clearly isn't working. They weren't even able to really jump ahead of their two easier games, let alone BYU. 
So if they start to go against UCLA uh, or would still throw USC in there, maybe some of the better teams in the Pac-12 South, I'm just going to be concerned until it gets addressed. As long as we continue to see this trend, that's great that Herm Edwards can make adjustments. We want to see it for a full four quarters, though. Well, and just for argument's sake, let's say that ASU finds a way to make a run for the Pac-12 South and get to the Pac-12 title game. Who would they be playing? Um, I'm hoping Oregon State. Uh, it would not. Well, first of all, I would hope it's not Oregon State because we'd probably have to go to. I, I it's not at Oregon State, which doesn't matter. We'd still lose. <laughs> it would be the other Oregon team, you know, the Ducks. Oh, bummer. And if you play the Ducks, then you're going to get absolutely embarrassed in the first half, and then you're going to have a hard time finding a way to catch up in the second half. No, because we're going to clamp down in the second half, and that's a badge of honor. We lose by three possessions, but at least they didn't score much in the second half. Give them the clamps! Give them the clamps. So as I mentioned, it's just, if we continue to see this trend, it's at least great that uh, they're making these adjustments, but we want to see a full four quarters. We're going to get into our next segment, looking at our uh, small preview of Colorado. If there's any game where you can play a full four quarters of just absolutely dominant football, This is going to be that game, man. It's going to be at home against a struggling Colorado team. If they're going to be able to make these adjustments for, or at least have a good game plan for the first four quarters or all four quarters of a game, you've got to do that here and make this a statement game going into the Pac-12 conference games that you're going to be playing. Yeah, just just look at your your shortcomings against Southern Utah. Figure out what you need to tighten down there. Look at how you finished the UNLV game. Take good notes there. And then finally, look at what allowed BYU to get up to a 21-7 lead and then take a better look at how you were able to finish the game 27-17. to So, that means that you need to sit there, look at your strengths, and implement them into a full game script for the game. That'll be the biggest key right here, is looking at the things that you did right, not the things you did wrong, but looking at the things you did right and executing them to perfection. Again, I think that's going to be a good matchup against Colorado. Um, at least should be a good game for ASU to bounce back. We're going to get into a little bit more of the struggling Colorado offense and where they stand and how ASU's defense should be able to feast on that opportunity. You're listening to Locked On Sun Devils Podcast. Finding a good tasting protein bar can be tough, but with Built Bar, I can promise you that it's the best on the market. Built Bar has tons of delicious flavors including the occasional limited flavors. But right now, you could be taking a look at coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, and there's so many more to pick. So there's a little something for everyone. My favorite right now is that peanut butter brownie. It gives me that little bit of like a peanut butter cup experience, and it's to die for. But even if you haven't tried all the flavors, you can always get a mix box where you get two of each of the of the nine different flavors that they have. Not only are they delicious, but they're healthy too. Most of the flavors have 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and four grams of net carbs. So order today, get that raspberry flavor, or that mint brownie flavor, or whatever you like. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, college football fanatics, have you heard about PrizePix? PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. I love this, and I know you will too. 
PrizePix is the leader in college football sports daily fantasy. PrizePix offers more college football props than anyone in the world and offers the, all the star players of the Power 5 conferences, as well as mid-major players you might not have ever heard of. PrizePix offers any prop you can think of from yardage to touchdowns, even interceptions thrown. Here's how it works. You pick two to five players and an over-under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry, and it's just you versus the projected numbers. PrizePix allows mixed sports entries. You can take the over on LeBron, combined with the under on Mahomes in the exact same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. PrizePix is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepix.com or go to the App Store and download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. And we're back with our last segment for the Locked On Sun Devils podcast. We're going to be doing our first preview looking at Colorado versus ASU this weekend. Richie, looking at Colorado, they've had a very up and down season in a whopping free game so far. They played, I believe it was Northern Colorado week one and absolutely took care of business. The way they should. And then in week two, they played a very good Texas A&M team and took them to the wire and ended up losing. And at that point, there's no shame in losing that game. Getting into week three, they got absolutely demolished by a team called the Golden Gophers in Minnesota. Not that Minnesota's not necessarily good, but how do you, 30-0 after going like to the wire with Texas A&M. It, it, it's shocking, man. Well, first of all, I'm going to need you to put some respect on Tanner Morgan's name. Yeah, he's, uh, no, he's, he's terrible. That You should be ashamed of yourself for making Tanner Morgan look like a Hall of Fame college football quarterback. He is the verbatim definition of a college quarterback. And he's doing it without weapons like Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman now. They got embarrassed. Minnesota is a good team. But Colorado should have at least been able to put up a fight. But instead, they decide to bring back the embarrassment to the Pac-12 that we've come to know over many years now. So Colorado is not impressive. And if there's any Colorado fans listening to this, I'm very sorry. And my condolences to you and your awful football team. Do you want to know how unimpressive this Colorado team has been through three games? I feel like no stat you could give me would surprise me. Okay, uh, let's start. Out of 130 FBS programs, where does Colorado rank in total offense? I'm going to say outside the top 100. 126 out of 130. Uh, almost dead last. They have scored 42 points this season. How many came in week one? How many came in week one? 35. 35. They then scored seven against Texas A&M. Which is respectable because that's a good defense. That's totally fine. And then they got shut out the following game. How many quarters has it been since they last scored a point? Oh, man. Six? Seven. Seven? They scored in the first quarter against Texas A&M, haven't scored since. Woof. What is their highest output in passing yards so far this year for a game? Is it over 200? No. Is it over 150? No. Is it over 100? Barely. Oh, wow. Their highest has been 102 yards. They've crossed that threshold once. So when I told you I wouldn't be surprised, that was not an invitation for you to surprise me. (laughs) Brendan Lewis this year, uh, do you know how many yards per attempt he is averaging? Five. I wish. He's averaging 4.4 an attempt in college football. So uh, with all this said, it's not like if people listen to this podcast and they come out and absolutely rock our defense, 
You can come back and listen, like, or at least, like, add us on Twitter. That's totally fine. Yeah, show the receipts. It's just Colorado has been struggling. Struggling. And it's, depending on on the last two weeks, if you talk about after the Texas Indian game or after the Minnesota game, two very different outlooks on this team. So while I would still say there's a little bit of mystery and anything can happen on this Saturday, I, I mentioned in the last podcast, this is the perfect team. If I can handpick one team out of the Pac-12 South that's not named Arizona, if I can handpick one matchup at home to get back here and play all four quarters well, this is that team. Oh, it definitely is. And like I, I, I want to try and not be a jerk about this, but this, this doesn't this feel like another cupcake game? Like it feels like another Southern Utah. Like you've just been gift wrapped this opportunity to blow these guys out of the water. It's kind of like how Alabama will start the year with like three or four big time matchups, and then for absolutely no reason at all, they play Chattanooga Community College State in like week seven. Yeah, Chattanooga Community College State, uh, Tech, A and M. They have a good quarterback though. Do they? Maybe I don't know. It's in Narnia. Do they? Do they even have a quarterback? I don't know. Do they even have a school? He's a Pegasus. Anyways, it's a Pegasus. Point being is this team is just, they have a lot of of bad stats going against their way. And for our defense, they've got to be able to come here, at least come back home and take care of business. They just, they absolutely have to. It's your first game against Pac-12 competition. There's no better way to kick this off with a win against Colorado. Yeah, you just blow these guys out of the water. You you need to show the rest of the Pac-12 that you're for real. You need to show the Pac-12 South that you're the team to beat, and you need to show Oregon that winning the Pac-12 is not going to be as easy as they hope it's going to be. You need to show these guys, hey, look how bad this team is. Now let's make an example out of them. I don't even so much care about the score. I mean, I hope we win by multiple possessions. Oh, so if we won 3 nothing, Well, so what I mean is it's we've talked a little bit about, especially after the first two weeks, is how they need to, to clean up their game. Example, if they come out and have a ton of penalties and they still win by, like, 21 points, I kind of don't care. If they're back in the double-digit penalty category range, that's it. I'm going to be concerned about that until they can start to clean some of that up. So it's not so much that I don't care about the score. They should win by multiple possessions. But how do they get there? Do they play a full, clean four quarters? Uh, are they able to establish the passing game a little bit more, even though they were going to be a little bit ahead potentially in the game script? But can they avoid the unnecessary penalties? In some cases, if you know Jaden Andrews is about to get lit up holding a defensive lineman, those penalties you can take. If there is a deep shot down the field and your corner is beat, taking the pass interference, yeah, those are okay. When you have multiple, multiple false starts on the exact same drive, that's just, you can't do that. Yeah, it's some mental errors. But here, let me let me propose a question to you. Would you rather win this game 20-7 to 7, with five penalties called on Arizona State, or would you rather win 49 nothing with 10 penalties? Was it a clean game? An example, were we able to move the ball and just not finish our drives? Did the defense look good and not so much have like uh, any mental errors uh, or just a total loss in coverage? So in the 49 to nothing game, it looked like typically what we've seen from Arizona State this year. In the 20-7 to game, it was more efficient, longer drives, but there was a lot of stalling. If that stalling isn't necessarily due to like mental errors, in this case, 
penalties that are absolutely avoidable, I would take the 20 to 7. Which is where I told you that you only have the five penalties called in that game. And that, that so five penalties, that is exactly what Herm Edwards is talking about. The elite teams are, are still going to average about four to five penalties. You can't avoid them. They're going to happen. And sometimes they're necessary. But if we play a clean game in that 20 to 7 scenario, um, I would rather go that route than just absolutely blowing the doors off of a team that you should and getting away with it sloppy. No, I and I don't necessarily disagree with you. I just, to me, I, I feel like the penalties are just something that are here to stay and we have to live with it. So if that's the, if that's the case, then I'd rather see us just absolutely kick their behind, you know, take them behind the woodshed, paint their back porch red. I get it. It just, I want the perception. So I, in an ideal scenario, we have that score and we play it clean, right? That is the absolute best case scenario. It is a statement game. And while your opponent may not be Oregon in the Pac-12, it is going to be your first win in the Pac-12, especially in the Pac-12 South, starting that off right. You want it to be a statement game. Playing an absolutely perfect game, it just doesn't happen that often for a lot of programs. So it's not so much that I expect to come away after Saturday night saying we just absolutely demolished them, we did everything right. I just want to see improvements. Hopefully we can live somewhere in that four, five, six penalty range. They're not necessarily dumb penalties. They're going to have a couple like false starts or like small mental errors, and that's totally fine. So in both of our scenarios, we still come out winning. It's just the perception of ASU, it could be different depending on, on what we're talking about. I really hope it's not a close game, and I don't want it to be disappointing. Uh, but we'll see. Time will tell. Herb um, Edwards has talked about the offense cleaning up uh, a lot of these penalties. Um, so we'll see. It's going to be hopefully a good game against Colorado. We'll get into a little bit more uh, of their team as a whole in the next couple days. Uh, thank you for listening to our Wednesday edition of the podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter. You can find me at Cedrios and find Richie at RichieBrads36 with a Z. And follow our Twitter page at LO underscore Sun Devils. You're listening to the Locked On Sun Devils podcast. Betting on college football doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast, hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get your podcasts.